Hey gorgeous, this is episode number 168 with the wonderful Michael Sapersky, a coach to consultants. Hi, this is Michael Zapersky, and you're listening to Heart Cells Podcast with Christine Schlonsky. Enjoy. I'm so looking forward to an amazing interview with Michael Sapersky today on how to get your client attraction engine going in a big way because Michael knows definitely what he is talking about. He is a CEO of Consulting Success and a coach to consultants. He has advised organizations like the Financial Times, Dow Jones, RBC, Omron, Sumitomo, and how Panasonic launch new products into the global markets. But more importantly, he has helped over 300 consultants from around the world in over 50 industry at six and seven figures to their annual revenues. Over 34,000 consultants read his weekly consulting newsletter. And Michael is also the author of the Amazon bestsellers, The Elite Consulting Mind and Consulting Success, the book. So I'm super excited. So let's dive right in. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show today, Michael. Welcome. Yeah, it's great to be with you. I'm excited for this too. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we have so many things to talk about. <laughs> and uh, with, with your business and what you teach people is really, really amazing. And I want to start with one thing that I see right now people are struggling with. And that is actually how to consistently attract clients and then I would love to talk, you know, how to, to charge more, that it's still in alignment and feels good. And we know we provide more value than we charge. But let's start with this point, because I see so many people that struggle with it. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a very important topic, right? Because without clients, you don't have a business. Um, yes. Now, I think the important thing to, to just first establish is that, there's variables at play, right? A lot of people, especially online these days, will try and have you believe there's only one way to do things. And, and typically that's their way of doing things, uh, but it's not necessarily the best. So, you know, it's going to depend, first of all, on who your ideal clients are. If, if you're targeting, let's say, a consumer, then your approach is going to be different if your ideal client is a savvy, you know, CEO or a leader of, a, of an organization. Uh, those approaches, first of all, will, will differ. But the other thing too, is it depends on where you're at in what I call the, the marketing maturity kind of you know cycle and stage. Uh, if someone already has a business, they have clients, uh, they have a pipeline of opportunities, and what they want to do now is just start to create more consistency in that their approach and, and their activities will be different than if you're brand new. So if you're a consultant or, or a coach and you're just getting started, then your actions need to be different than if your business is already established. So do you want me to go into kind of both of those situations and cover what's different about them? or? Yeah, I'd love to, especially with like the solopreneurs, because I, I know that there are quite some people in the audience that are kind of starting out They're maybe in their first or second year, and they sure. just feel they do everything like what other people tell them, be on Facebook, be on Twitter, <laughs> be on Instagram, but still they don't have the consistent flow of leads coming to them. And I think that would really make a big difference. Yeah. So what you just described there is, is probably the reason, you know, one of the reasons why they're not getting the results that they want is because they're too scattered. Um, you know, marketing growth in my observation uh, is really about subtraction, not about addition, right? It's about doing 
fewer things, but doing them really well and not trying to do a whole bunch of things just because others have told you that's what you need to be doing or that's kind of what's trendy or popular today. But if we take someone who, let's just say, has already has a pipeline, they have some clients that they've been working with, and most likely they've gone to that place of where they are today just based on referrals and, and their own network, then their steps, their focus should really be more about uh, thought leadership and putting out content uh, because they already have the benefit of, of some leads and opportunities and a pipeline that they can benefit from today. So they don't, they're not as hungry for the, you know, that, that first piece of business right now. So they have a bit more time so they can benefit from creating more thought leadership um, and really things that are going to give them leads you know, into the future. It's evergreen, right? You post content on your website or you start a podcast. Um, depending again where your ideal clients are, you can benefit from that. But if we compare that to someone who's just getting started or doesn't yet have many clients, uh, where people are often going kind of making a mistake, uh, in my observation, is that they try and apply that mindset of, you know, do social media, do content. The problem with those things is that even though they work, they take time, right? It's not uncommon to see that it can take 12 months, 18 months for, for your content to really kick in to the point where you can start to generate consistent leads and opportunities from it. And so if you invest too much of your energy and time just into content at the early stages, then you have to be prepared to wait a long time to see the benefit. So my suggestion to people who are earlier stage is that you need to be going direct. You have to get very clear on who your ideal client is, and then you need to figure out what is the most direct way to get in front of that ideal client. And so for some people, it might be Facebook, right? If you're a life coach, uh, if you work in that area, Facebook might be a great place for you. Uh, if you're working more with a business crowd, then LinkedIn is probably going to be a very good place for you to identify those ideal clients and then be able to actually start engaging with them right away. And when you do that, it needs to be done coming from a place of, of value and focusing on relationships. The, the biggest mistake people make right now that I see online is with their marketing, their, their mindset is transactional. So they're going in, they're, they're identifying who their ideal client is, and they just try and sell them. Like, I'm sure, Christine, you've received messages <laughs> on LinkedIn or Facebook where it's yeah. like, hey, Christine, thanks for connecting. I have this widget and this product and this group. Do you want to buy it? Do you want to join it? It's like, just back up. I don't even know who you are. Exactly. Right? You would never go to a networking event or, or any kind of conference and meet someone and say, hi, nice to meet you, Christine. My name is Michael. Do you want to buy my, you know, my fresh cup of coffee? And like, <laughs> it, that would never happen in real life, yet... That's what people are doing, hiding behind technology. And so what I would, would really encourage people to do is to think about every interaction that you have with someone uh, as, as a relationship and how can you add value for them. Of course, you want to introduce what you, know, what you do and what your expertise is, but do that at the beginning through the lens of what would be valuable for that person. And so my recommendation is get very clear on who your ideal client is, then start to create a relationship with them, look at how you can add value for them. And then what's very important, and this is critical if you want to generate consistent lead flow, is that you understand that you need to follow up consistently, right? If you have the mindset of, I'm going to send a couple of messages to someone and if they don't respond, I guess this doesn't work and I need to try something else and I'm going to jump off to a different technology or a different platform or different whatever, then you're going to leave the vast majority of the opportunities on the table. Like it's unlikely that you'll see results. Because plen uh, there's plenty of studies that show that it can take seven, eight, 12. I just heard something that someone say 34 um, like touches you need to have these days before someone's going to convert from just an initial you know, outreach into a meaningful conversation or sale. Um, I think you need to be prepared to at least get in, in touch seven or more times with an ideal client. And so that means you should be thinking about LinkedIn messages or Facebook messages, email, phone, text, 
maybe even something with direct mail. Like, you know, you need to be getting in front of your ideal clients consistently, not to push them, not to say buy what I have, but rather checking in, offering valuable resources, seeing how they're doing, right? Fostering and, and cultivating that relationship, uh, which keeps you top of mind. And then if they really are an ideal client, they'll be ready at some point to buy from you. Some people earlier on, some people later on, but if you get that engine going you know, now what you will end up having is a pipeline that will serve you for many years to come. And as that picks up, as you kind of move down that, that marketing maturity cycle where there's enough uh, leads in your pipeline, then you can start to shift the percentage of your time that you're spending on the direct outreach and the content creation to be doing slowly more content. And then as your pipeline really builds up, you'll find that you won't need to do as much of the direct outreach because people will start finding you, right? And that's what everyone wants, right? Everyone wants to be contacted yeah but most people aren't prepared to put in the work at the beginning to generate enough of that momentum and that traction to reach that tipping point. Yeah. So can we talk about it? Because you, you mentioned Facebook and LinkedIn. And so depending where your ideal clients hang out, you want to be in those platforms. But how do I, how do I reach out? Let's say I'm on Facebook and I'm a life coach. How do I know yeah. if somebody is my ideal client? So, I won't personally speak about Facebook because we don't use Facebook. Our, our expertise is working with consultants um, and their, their ideal clients are, are all organizations. It might be a small nonprofit um, or a company like Google or Nike or whatever, you know, a multi-billion dollar organization. So all of our clients are targeting other organizations, small or large. Uh, so for us on LinkedIn, if I can offer that, that example, because that's yeah. definitely where, where totally a lot of this fine. happens. Yeah. I mean, the, the process on LinkedIn is, very straightforward, right? You can use Sales Navigator, which is a, an add-on that you pay for on LinkedIn, which allows you to put in different criteria to get very, very clear and specific around who your ideal client is. So if you want to target, let's say, CFOs at companies that have um, you know, 200 to 500 employees in the north of Germany, uh, right, in the pharmaceutical or let's say dairy uh, you know, industries, I don't know if those exist right in there, but you could target them, right? You would yeah. be able to see how many people match that criteria. So that's the starting point. Then once you've done that, then the next thing is to actually reach out to them. And so you can do that by sending a connection request. Um, and the connection request doesn't need to be elaborate. It can be very straightforward. You, you look for low hanging fruit. You look to see, are you already connected to some of these people that you haven't, you know, had a conversation with in some time? Um, and who else are you both connected to? A second degree connection, right? The mutual connection. What leverage and kind of point of, of mutual contact can you use? And so when you reach out, you're able to say, looks like, you know, we're both connected to, to this, to Jim Johnson or, or Sally, you know, Soodle or whatever their, their name might be, or we both went to this college or whatever it might be. Um, we've often found that you can get, you know, 30 to even 50% or, or higher level of acceptance with, with just a very straightforward message because what people are typically doing when you send a connection request is they click on your profile or they look at your title to see who you are. And if it looks like you're just a salesperson or if it looks like you don't really have much expertise or if you don't have a good profile that's kind of optimized, then they're unlikely to accept. But if you're a professional and if you've really crafted that, that profile uh, to look that way and to communicate value, then it's very likely that people will, will accept. Uh, and even if they don't accept, it doesn't mean that you don't continue going after and kind of trying to build that relationship. It just means that maybe they're not active on LinkedIn. And so then you need to move to email or to phone or to some other uh, method. But that's what it's all about. It's just about getting in front of them, letting them know, you know why you'd like to, to connect. And then as soon as they accept that connection request, 
then go in with value. Don't try and get anything yet. Just try and get on their radar, but you know, most importantly, give them some value. Offer them a resource or an insight uh, because that's a, that's a much more effective way to start a relationship. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, the other day I had like one of those requests, uh, somebody like asking me, oh, do you coach online? And I'm thinking like, well, if you would have seen what I'm doing, if you would have checked on me, you see that that's what I'm doing. And then if your profile shows me that you support people that coach online, I know that's all you want as a sales conversation. And I'm not, exactly. I'm not interested. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people are lazy these days, right? It's technology. I'm a big fan of technology. I love technology, but technology is also really hurting uh, people's ability to grow their businesses because they're so focused on trying to master these tools and technology and you know find ways to automate and be more efficient that it's causing people to be lazy. It's causing people to you know look at volume instead of value, looking at you know quantity instead of quality. And if you are willing to put in a little bit more time to really try and you know learn a little bit about the people that you want to create relationships with, um, that really stands out and that differentiates you. And that says to someone, hey, here's someone who's actually taken some time, like they've read through our annual report or they've checked, they've commented on a, on a recent article that I wrote. Like that shows that they're not just spamming a whole bunch of people with the exact same message. Um, and that's how you stand out from everyone else. And that's a much better way to begin that relationship um, because they're going to let their guard down and say to themselves or think to themselves, this person isn't necessarily just trying to sell me right away. Or even if they are trying to sell me and you know, they might have something of value, it, like, they're knowledgeable. This is probably the kind of person that I should actually be speaking with. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And it's, you know, what, wherever, whatever platform you use, you ha can have the same approach. It's just about building the relationship first coming from that place of service before you start a conversation about how you can work together. So what, what have you yeah. seen in your business? Like how long does it take for your clients to, to really get a good habit of reaching out until the, you know, the switch kind of goes onto the other side where people are actually coming to them? How much time do you think an entrepreneur needs to invest? Yeah. I mean, it's a really good question. And I can offer you an example, like one of our clients, Elliot, um, he transitioned from the corporate world into consulting. Uh, and within about five to seven weeks, he already landed over a hundred thousand dollars of new business and, you know, really saw that things were moving forward. Uh, but there's other situations where it can take, you know, three months um, for people to really start kind of getting, getting that traction. So I can't, you know, I don't feel that it'd be honest of me to, to offer like, you know, it's exactly this amount of time because oh, yeah. there's so many, so many variables at play, but I can certainly say uh, with great confidence because, you know, we've been seeing this with hundreds of, of consultants that we worked with over the years that if you are willing to get very focused on who your ideal client is, and then you're willing to, you know, put in the work to, um, to reach out to them consistently and, and follow up and kind of follow the process that within a matter of, you know, I'd say a few short months, you can definitely start building a, a really um, thriving, you know, pipeline full of opportunities. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have landed hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in, in new business. But in many cases, we see a lot of people who do start generating. We just had another client, uh, Nick, who's, you know, coming out of the philanthropy world as a consultant. And she's now just about eight weeks into the process um, and she's already landed $60,000 of, of new business. 
Um, but she's been doing the outreach. She's been having the conversation. She's been making the offers. Um, and so that's been my own experience too, is, you know, growth and, and success comes from not just what you know, but it's all about the application. It's all about willing to, you know, to apply the concept of imperfect action, which I share a lot with, with clients, the, the belief and kind of the understanding that you may not have all the answers, but even if you don't, still putting something out there is going to be much you know, more beneficial for you because you'll learn a lot more about what does work and what doesn't work. And that allows you to make greater improvements. Yeah, totally agree. So now you, you mentioned those like higher numbers and I know um, a lot of coaches when they start out, they just don't get there. But also in, when you, when you say that to put it in re, re, relationship to the outreach, um, those people were probably people that, that have a higher price ticket, right? There's nobody that sells like an online course for $200 or a thousand or something. So yeah. what, what advice could you give people to implement in their business so that they really see this connection work paying off? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think kind of what you're getting at, Christine is, um, how can you go from, if, if you're charging like a lower dollar value, how can you actually start growing your overall revenues um, or, or your average kind of, you know, price point um, per, yeah. per product or per, per service offering. And I totally get it because I still remember the day, I mean, we've been doing this now. Uh, so I've been in the consulting business for about almost 20 years and consulting success has been almost 10 years now. And I remember when we were selling like $97 eBooks, um, you know, so, so that low ticket stuff, I remember and I was there and I can tell you that the, the biggest opportunity for every everyone out there to generate more money uh, more revenue and have a greater impact on those that you want to serve really has very little to do with what you're offering it has almost everything to do with your mindset your your belief and the positioning of what you're offering so if, if I can I'll make this probably make it a lot more tangible for you we we used to offer um, a, a product that you know, we charged a couple of hundred dollars for. And uh, we saw people getting great results from it. But we, we also felt that it could be, it could be you know, at a much higher price point because the value was there. Um, of course, the concerns start coming in of, well, if you raise the price point, does that mean that you lose opportunities and people don't buy it? And then, like, there's all that kind of fear and you know, anxiety that come around that. But we just decided, let's go for it. And so we, we shifted that product up um, and not only did we have about the same number of people buying the product, uh, but people got greater results because they had made a bigger investment. And when someone makes a bigger investment, they tend to be right, more invested into their results and their actions follow that. Um, so that's with a product example, but I can also offer on a service side example, you know, with our coaching program, uh, we, you know, we had it at a much lower price point when we first started. And I think that's okay as a starting point for people. Like if someone's listening right now and you're just getting started, there's nothing wrong with having a lower price point to begin with, because what that does is it validates your offering and gives you the opportunity to work with people to really, you know, um, fine tune and hone and kind of optimize your, uh, your engagement, your services, your products and help you to get results. And then once you're confident that you're able to achieve results for people and there's real value there, well then that gives you the confidence and hopefully gives you the confidence to, to increase your, your prices. But I remember that, you know, many years ago we started working with, with a coach and, uh, I was in a room with a bunch of people and they were charging, you know, anything from like around $10,000 to $50,000 for for their offerings. And at that time, I think our offering was maybe around like three to 
yeah, it was $3,000 was like our maximum offering. And we went back and after this kind of whole event um, that I was at, and I remember it was in Hawaii, came back and I talked with my cousin Sam, who's my business partner. Uh, and I said, listen, like we, we need to make some changes here. Uh, and so we increased the pricing first to 6,000 and then beyond. And literally just the business took off. Like there was, there was no difference in what we were really doing. We just repackaged kind of our, our offering. We positioned a bit differently and we just increased the, the price point. And I've seen this time and time again with, with clients. Um, I had one client who was taking a, a proposal. Again, this, these are bigger numbers, but this is applies even to something smaller. She was going to be going in with a $60,000 proposal for a client that she had worked with. Uh, and we had a conversation about the value of like really what she was creating and it was significant. And so she ended up updating that proposal before she sent it in uh, for over $200,000 and she submitted it and she won at that level. So, you know, she added it well over six figures and there was no additional time required for her to deliver on that. It was just how she was positioning it and the focus that she had on, on value. So for anyone listening right now, you know, you don't need to, create necessarily new products. You don't need more social stuff. You don't need more of likely, you know, much. If you wanted to grow your business right now, if you want to see an extra zero or you want to just, you know, see revenue grow, just think about as long as the value is there and people are getting results from what you're doing, increase your pricing, test it. And you'll most likely find that you'll achieve greater growth from that. At least that's been, you know, my experience and many um, similar experience with, with many clients. It's, it's just your mindset and then how you position it and focus on value. Yeah, totally, totally agree. I see that over and over with my clients as well. Once you can shift into that, what I call sales success mindset, where your limiting belief of I can't charge more or, you know, I, it comes with such ease and I know all the stuff, I should be helping people because I know how to do it. That is really in the way. So transitioning to where you have an offer that provides amazing, amazing value, but also charging a high enough price that you get your clients moving and invested in time and money makes the, the huge difference. Yeah. I mean, if someone's charging a thousand dollars now or $1,500 now for, for some program, uh, you know, depending on what they're doing, but most likely they could charge 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 for some variation of that program uh, or maybe even the same program. It's just the difference of, you know, are you focusing and communicating the value of it? And then are you confident in it? Um, right. There's people out there, plenty of people, there's people who are willing to invest a thousand. There's people who are willing to invest 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 500,000, a million plus, right. Depending on, on who your ideal client is. Uh, and so it's not so much of, will there be someone willing to pay that? It's, is your offer, right, focused on solving a problem that someone has? And if the value is there, then you will start seeing that some people will, will resonate with that. Yeah, yeah, so cool. So you have some fun facts you shared. <laughs> and uh, just one thing is just, uh, I'm just curious, uh, you, you do speak Japanese. Hi, how did, how did you how did you get to learn Japanese? Uh あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あ
I was born in Toronto. My parents moved us to Israel when I was very young. So my first language was actually Hebrew. When I came back to Canada, uh, I didn't I didn't speak English. I had to have a tutor. Uh, and I kind of went through all that. I felt like an outsider. Uh, and then growing up in Vancouver, I was surrounded by a lot of people from Asia. In fact, in my high school, like you have lockers on both sides right down the halls. Um, I don't know how this worked out, but I was like the one white guy amongst a sea of people from Hong Kong and Taiwan and China. I've always loved cultures. I love people. I've loved languages. Uh, and so at that time, I was not only interested in, in Asia um, because I saw just this deep tradition and respect for people and respect for elders and that resonated with me but i was also very into business and so um at that time in the kind of the economic cycle japan was the number one business uh, or the number one kind of you know economy um, in asia and so i was very drawn to not only japanese culture and language and japanese women but also to um to that what you know was happening kind of in japan business wise so i began studying japanese and that was yeah, about 20, 20 or so years ago. Um, I've been going to Japan now for, yeah, almost, I guess, 20, about 20 years. I've been going to Japan now, a little bit under, maybe nine, eight, 19 years. It's been, so yeah, just, I was in Japan um, this year and I remember I was thinking, I was like, wow, I've been coming here all, like many years, like a lot's changed. Uh, but yeah, I spent a year studying at a Japanese university uh, I then spent about five, six years living in Japan, building one of our businesses. We took a, our, one of our consulting businesses and opened up a branch office there and worked with some really great organizations like Panasonic and Dow Jones and Sumitomo and a whole bunch of others. So um, that's kind of the whole Japan side. Yeah, cool. Amazing, amazing. Well, for this episode, we're already out of time, but we do have a second episode. So I'm really looking forward. And because we talked so much about mindset and how to get started, you have a wonderful gift for us. And it's a 47-page consulting blueprint. I will have all the links in the show notes, but tell people where they can find that. Yeah, definitely. It's um, very simple. You can go to consultingsuccess.com forward slash blueprint. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to the next conversation. Me too. Well, I would love to know if you are getting your client attraction engine going, if you are implementing new habits to really reach out on a consistent base, to create the conversation, to create the relationships, and then to eventually invite people to buy from you. Hop on over to christineschlonsky.com, find the podcast tab and connect with Michael. All the links are just one click away to his Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, obviously to his homepage, to his Amazon best-selling books, as well as his wonderful free gift, the 47-page consulting blueprint. Make sure you join us next week with the episode, Understand That People Like to Buy and what Michael has to say about that. In the meantime, you can still join the Heart-Centered Lead Generation Summit at heartcenteredleadgenerationsummit.com where we have 40 amazing experts teaching all about lead generation, all the different ways to do it, organic, paid, in partnerships, combined strategies, as well as trends, as mistakes, and as legal stuff. So hop on over to christineschlonsky.com for the podcast. And also, obviously, once over there, you will have a link to the Heart Centered Lead Generation Summit in the menu. 
Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited that you joined us. Thank you for spending your time with us. I hope this was very valuable and you had some fun. And I can't wait to have you on the next episode with a wonderful Michael Sapersky. Have a wonderful day wherever you are in this beautiful world. And I'm saying bye for now. Bye.